So on our, this episode, we are so excited because I think we're finally bringing in someone professional and beyond our words of wisdom, <laughs> specifically <laughs> for this topic of packaging. And packaging, you know, we've talked about, I think, all the details and all the getting into the, 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 the small little details of every ounce of it. But when we look at the bigger picture, the thing that Jordan and I were really curious about is consumer behavior, right? And like, Everything we're doing is so that consumer picks this package or picks this product over all of the competition and all of the competitors next to it on that shelf. So we promised some professionals and we've definitely, uh, uh, I think, thanks to Jordan, kind of reached out and uh, I'll turn it over to you to kind of introduce our guest. Yeah, I think to help us really understand, again, what that means in terms of packaging and consumer behavior, we're joined by someone who quite literally wrote the book on this subject, a few books. Uh, <laughs> he's consulted with brands like BMW, Johnson & Johnson, Intel. He delivers seminars all around the world, a regular contributor at Forbes.com, and is just an all-around thought leader in the marketing and consumer behavior industry as a whole. So we're really thrilled and excited to introduce everyone to Michael Solomon. How you doing, Michael? Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely, man. It's great to have you. We're excited um, to get the real, <laughs> the real details behind what we do. Yeah, selfishly, I think we're both really excited for this. Now I'm feeling some pressure, though. <laughs> I think um, anything you can give us is going to be just an eye-opening kind of you know, we think we're trying to be just to to let you know. I think as designers and most of our listeners, we're trying to be as strategic as possible. You know, and we're trying to be marketers as well. And yeah. you sharing this insight, I think, is going to be a huge eye opening uh, thing for not only Jordan and I but most of our listeners. So looking looking forward to it. Yeah. So can you maybe just start off, maybe giving a brief sort of bio, what you do, tell us about yourself, um, just an introduction. Uh, sure. You know, ne never ask a college professor what he does because he'll tell you and that'll take all day. But, uh, <laughs> uh, just briefly, I, uh, I'm a, uh, I'm a marketing professor, uh, currently in the business school at St. Joseph's university in Philadelphia. And my background is in, uh, is in psychology. My degree is in psychology, but I've, I've been a, uh, I've been a marketing professor. My, entire career and uh, and basically have specialized in consumer behavior and answering the big questions or trying to anyway about about why we buy how we make the purchases we do uh, and really what we call the deep meanings of brands you know what brands mm. mean to people so I guess you know my my mantra really is uh, we don't buy things because of what they do. We buy them because of what they mean. And so certainly packaging and, you know, all of the design work that people like you do is really, really important, especially especially nowadays where, frankly, most consumers, uh, much to the chagrin of a lot of managers, don't <laughs> see that many functional differences among brands, you know? So yeah. it, a lot of it has to do with, with the design, and, and these are not trivial questions, and they're certainly not just about aesthetics. I mean, it definitely impacts the bottom line. Hmm. Yeah, so just to kick off, I, I think just the biggest and broadest question maybe is how does an average consumer make that purchasing decision? 
and we can break down further along, but just as an overall, overall, like, yeah. Well, that <laughs> I know there's probably not a simple equation to that, but I just like, you know, it, a lot of it depends on basically how much the person cares about the decision. Let's put it that way. There you go. And, and at the risk of oversimplifying, you know, we can talk about two kinds of purchases. One, one where kind of the routine things that we buy every day versus mm. the things that we really put a lot of thought into. And uh, again, there's gradations, you know, I'm oversimplifying, but, but those two, those two base, that basic distinction is super important. You know, so when you're talking about, when you ask me that question, and if you're referring to, you know, you're, you're, you're rolling your cart down the grocery aisle. Yeah. Uh, we could talk about that, you know, or, or any kind of store, you know, uh, sure. where you're picking up kind of everyday stuff as opposed to the decision about, you know, buying a house or a, a new laptop <laughs> or something. So, yeah, I think it'll be the former in terms of, you know, especially a lot of the designers that I, myself included, really dig into like the actual primary packaging on a shelf. Yeah. 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 Like if you yeah, were to look, think- if you were to look at a cluster of the same product, but from different brands, what's, what's making a consumer go, Hmm. Yeah. Like this well, way, like you know, that way. You know, especially, especially so, you know, when we're talking about really fairly routine purchases, mm-hmm. whether it's food or, uh, you know, uh, personal care products and, and things like that, um, it's surprising how little conscious thought goes in, into that. And that can make some managers pretty nuts because <laughs> they've put a lot of conscious thought into every aspect of that product. Oh, yeah. But but the reality is that... Um, that a lot of our decisions, and and we realize this more and more. Uh, you know, it used to, it used to be the conventional wisdom was that people had a pretty good idea of exactly what they wanted before they went into the store. And what we're seeing today is that a lot of purchases, especially in the food category, uh, but a lot of purchases, the majority of purchases, uh, decisions are not made until people enter the store. So when you're talking about, you know, the idea that we, some of us make grocery lists and so on, uh, and then, you, you know, when you look at people's grocery lists and then you see what they're wheeling out of the store, you see that, that you know, there might be some items from the list, but there's some <laughs> other things that made their way in there. And Every time, yeah. Yeah, you know, and that's where package design really becomes important because, uh, and, and, and I think, you know, the marketing industry in general has recognized this. Uh, you guys are in the right place because... You know, when you look at the share of money that's going to in-store promotion versus advertising, uh, it's not that advertising is dead or anything. I don't want to say that, but but the share of money that's going into uh, point-of-purchase displays and, yeah. and so on has gone up steadily across most categories. Mm. So it's that reflects a recognition that, uh, and in fact, you know, we even have a new term that a lot of people talk about: shopper marketing. Mm-hmm. And that really refers to all the stuff that goes on in the in the retail environment, including, of course, the design of the packages. So, wow. Uh, so really, you know, what, what's happening is we, we may have a general preconceived idea that we need, uh, you know, ketchup or cologne or what, whatever it is. Uh, but there's a lot going on in the environment 
that determines whether or not we're going to pay attention to something. And and at the end of the day, and we can you know talk more about this if you want. But uh, what I like to say is that you know the biggest challenge in marketing today, and we we have a lot of challenges, you know, and opportunities as as we have all these disruptions going on. Everybody doesn't know from day to day what it means to be marketing anymore. Yeah, the biggest challenge I believe is just getting people's attention. Yeah. yeah. Because attention is the most scarce resource that that we have. Uh, And so I I like to play a game with people. Here's a trivia question for you guys. Uh, In a typical day, uh, you know, in let's say in the U.S. or or Western Europe, um, how many commercial messages do you think the average consumer is exposed to? You talk about (laughs) popping up on your phone or on billboards or a radio ad or, you know, from any source. Do you? It's you know, do you think it's be, over 100? Yeah, I was, I was going to say close to 1,100. I mean, unless you're like only reading a book, <laughs> like I don't know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's everywhere. It's in your podcast audio. It's in yeah, it is, social right. media. I mean, it's on your watch. It, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and in fact, your answer is is low. Uh, oh the answer gosh. is closer to four to 5,000. Wow. Day. Now you're now you're going to sit back and say, well, wait a minute, I can't count four thousand, you know, uh, and that's exactly the point. When yeah. I say you're exposed to them, doesn't mean you actually pay attention to them. So yes, the real battle is at the gate, you know, is at the starting gate. Yeah, to just get your brand noticed. That is, you know, and if you can win that battle, doesn't mean you've won the war because, of course, the consumer is going to notice probably more than one brand, but they're not going to notice the large majority and that means that that already you know 90% or so of the brands that are vying for your attention are are they're not even in the race you know they've mm. been scrapped from the race before the starting bell yeah and i guess to be noticed you've got to be at a certain caliber of a brand to maybe afford those in-store displays and to afford that retail space right because a small mom and pop brand might have the best packaging but they're not getting noticed because of dollars uh, yeah, I think that's, that's fair to say, you know, and, and so, you know, one of the big, one of the big determinants of getting noticed is simply eye level, you know, eye position. Yeah. And so that, yeah. that's why, uh, you know, of, of course a lot, <laughs> you know, most big brands complain that, you know, that the retailers basically are, are extorting them by, by, uh, you know, charging slotting fees and so on. And, uh, you know, that's a, that's a topic for another day, whether it's bribery or extortion, <laughs> yeah, the pay to play for sure. Definitely makes a difference because if your brand is at eye level, you know, it's kind of like getting a certain handicap when you run a horse race or something, or, you know, a foot race, uh, you're already ahead out of the gate. That doesn't mean that the battle's over again, but you're definitely ahead because, because, uh, you know, essentially a package is is that last frontier between the consumer's attention and the brand. And you only have, you know, literally microseconds probably to sell your brand. And so uh, being at eye level is is a huge advantage. We know that people, uh, you know, they don't look high and they don't look low unless yeah. they're Unless they're looking for something specific. Unless they're really tall or they're really short. Yes. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. But if they, you know, like, that's a great point because I think as designers, we've got to think about those things that can be 
if, if we have a disadvantage and we don't have those budgets or our clients don't have that budgets, there's, there's things we got to start thinking about to make sure it's noticed in a, maybe a more uh, design oriented way rather than dollar spent yeah. and placement. Does that sound true? Yeah, I, I, that's, I would agree with that totally. And, and I think, you know, this, this is where it gets, you guys have the real challenges and opportunities. You know, it's just like in advertising in general, you know, what I always tell people is, Hey, you know, it's, it's, it's easy to work for Nike or Apple, you know, to, to do ads <laughs> yeah. for them. Yeah. Everybody wants to see them, you know, but if you're yeah. selling kitty litter or something, maybe not so much. <laughs> uh, and the same goes for, you know, designing these, these packages and the ancillaries. Um, you know, so I, I would say, you know, if there's one, really fundamental takeaway from our conversation it's that you know the one most important determinant of getting attention is the magic word of contrast yes yes which is making it pop as you <laughs> all know better than i do there's many ways to you know to implement that but the point is that when people are scanning the environment whether visually or through you know uh, audio whatever it's, and let's not forget you know, the, there are other senses in addition to visual that are yeah extremely important. Um, obviously, when you're talking about package design, most of it is on the visual channel. But um, but the one, the single most important thing is is my stimulus, what we would call <laughs> your package. Yeah. You know, is my stimulus uh, going to be different from what's around it? And that can be true in terms of the color, the shape, the size the novelty in some way yeah, or any opposite right thick or thin black and white any, like any any opposite any and contrast so there, exactly so there's no absolutes you know and it's funny so if you you know if you think about a, a magazine advertisement and you know it's all colorful and vivid and everything uh, i don't know if you guys remember magazines we used to read them <laughs> <laughs> but uh you know the best way to get attention there is to is to have your ad in black and white you know yeah and so then every but what's going to happen is then everybody's going to start putting their ads in black and white and then suddenly you want to color one again so it's not that black and white is better or worse than color it's all a question of context yeah, that's great. I, that's funny because I think you can go back to the, the first few classes you, that you take in any kind of art or creative field and contrast. I always remember that being the emphasis and yet I feel like I've almost, it's always in the back of my mind, but I'm glad you've put it in the forefront because I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And I think those are the things that I'm, I gravitate to when I'm out there shopping, you know? And it, you yeah. don't even know it because it's just like you said, it's something, it's the single most important thing that attracts you is that. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and the thing is that, you know, I, 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 and it's easy for me to criticize since I can't draw, you know, I can't draw <laughs> a, uh, a tree, but, um, you know, I think what happens is designers, some, sometimes they wake up and they say, oh, I forgot about contrast, you know, and <laughs> what they do is they, they probably tend to focus on wild colors. Mm -hmm. But again, design is is a fashion is is essentially fashion in the sense yeah, that yeah. Uh, in the sense that there are movements and there are you know there are leaders and followers and and so ironically you could be in a situation where you use a really unusual color, but if everybody around you is also using an unusual color, you're itself <laughs> you make brown yeah feeding you know yeah so the point is you don't want to be a hammer in search of a nail and say well it's just color that's going to cause the contrast. It can be other things as well. Perfect. Sure. Perfect. I, it leads us to a good question where I think the retail space versus online space is being so challenged and talked about now more than ever. And yet 
we still play the same role because we're designing, let's say, packaging for either retail or we're designing packaging for online uh, stores that aren't, doesn't really have to sell it, but there's still the experience and the things that are, I think, expected when you get something nice in the mail. So what, what things do you see differently in the way consumers are buying online versus in-store and retail? Well, I think at, at least at least for now, the online experience is more pragmatic. You know, yeah. it's more about it's more about searching and identifying, uh, you know, navigating the space, finding the item that you're probably looking for already. And of course, you, you, yep. you know, you, you, you don't have that uh, that in-person retail environment to distract you as much. Now, hmm. when I say for now, I mean, there are. There are exciting technologies coming online that you guys are probably well aware of, like, say, augmented reality, virtual reality and so yeah. on that that, you know, that essentially are all about magnifying that in-store experience and making it closer to the real world. But, at you know, at this point in time, those are pretty young. Um, they may or may not take off. And so, I you know, I think that. The, the idea of browsing online, it's more about browsing in the way that Amazon encourages you to browse by building and recommendation agents like, you know, oh, you saw this, now you'll like that, mm -hmm. as opposed to you're looking through products. You know, it's funny, I, just before I was, uh, I was killing a little time, and of course, today's the last day of Prime Day, and I... <laughs> so I so I was scrolling through some of the products that are you know the the hot deals and stuff that were sure. on their website, and after about you know looking at about twenty photographs of various types of products that have you know great deals today, I said I was thinking how can anybody just sit here and look at these you know <laughs> you can't look at a hundred of, of these things yeah. the way you would in in the in a you know in a physical store. And so even though there's hot deals and people tend to get motivated, there's all, there's a limit to that. And so that's why the, you know, the, the search functions where you can, and, and you couldn't do that on the, uh, on the prime website, interestingly, but, uh, you know, you couldn't search by, by brand or something for hot deals. Yeah. Um, and, and that really limits it. So I, you know, I think the, you know, my, my sense is that in terms of website design in general, uh, you know, it's, it's much more minimalist these days, you know, for sure. a long time as the technology improved and designers were able to add more, more bells and whistles. Of course they did because they could. And then, and then some people cut against that and said, actually the real estate should be simpler, easier to navigate, not as overwhelming. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and that can be true in the in the physical space as, as well. Again, contrast there. Oh, and but, that's carried into you know. all forms of design, Michael. I mean, like it's that yeah. minimal design started there and now it's it's in branding, it's in packaging, it's it's playing there. And I think that's a, a I'm, I'm glad you brought it up because sometimes I I question that balance because it's like, you know, you do you in packaging and stuff. You do want to have everything that you want to say. Yet on online, you do want it to be as simple and clean as possible. It's two different attractive spots with the consumer. Right, right. Know? And again, you know, design is a fashion. When I use the term fashion, I'm not talking about Paris runways. I'm yeah. talking about the, <laughs> the dynamics of fashion. The trends. You know, and fashion is essentially a pendulum that swings yeah. back and forth. 
you know, so when you talk, I mean, right now we, in our culture, minimalism is really big. We have decluttering. Yep. We have tiny houses, you know, all of those mm -hmm. things. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we have people making a fortune telling you how to get rid of things that you own. Um, you know, my guess is that that will swing back the other mm -hmm. way as people now people have blank spaces that they need yep. to fill up again. You know, <laughs> and back and forth in design as well. So, um, you know, you just I mean, the only the only constant in fashion is that it's going to change. change. It's the only thing you can count on is that you can't count. <laughs> yeah. And, and when do you see that pendulum changing? Because, my God, it's like it seems like I, I mean, like. I remember being introduced to that that theory, and I I've never had a more light bulb moment. Going, wow, that makes the pendulum swing in trends makes so much sense. And it's like I almost feel like the social media and everything else we're doing in online and whatever is keeping it in that minimal zone. Maybe more, I don't know, like because mm -hmm. the necessity of it, you know. Right, and and that, you know, there's also a really good lesson there. I think. As a, for designers, uh, in terms of thinking longitudinally mm -hmm. over time, you know, you can have a really best design ever, but unfortunately, that you have to change it because, yeah. uh, again, thinking about contrast, it also works this way where people, you know, you can have even when you talk about great design like Apple or something, everybody mm -hmm. points points to that the problem is that we habituate to that and so if you're used to seeing that design no matter how aesthetically wonderful it is over time it will no longer make that impact anymore yeah hmm. and so you can't sit you can't rest on your laurels and every single kind of product great for you guys makes more work for you but mm -hmm. every single product has to be redesigned constantly more than ever now, right would you say yeah, yeah. it's you know, and, and it has to, I mean, and it can't, and, and there's a delicate balance because if you redesign it drastically, you know, when you think, think about logo design, sometimes a company will, re, will redo their logo to where it's unrecognizable. That is a really bad thing mm -hmm. to do because now you're starting over in terms of brand awareness. So, of course, the design challenge is to take, is to take the dominant elements of that logo and translate them and update them hmm. and continue to do that and you know and it's always fun to to see how logos like say pepsi cola mm -hmm. or some uh, brands like that have changed uh betty crocker yep have changed over a hundred years and yet you could look at the one that's a hundred years old and say yeah i recognize that yeah, yeah. they've 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 paid a bit of like some tribute to the previous one without yeah, being those major elements yeah yeah. And also, too, I think you bring up a good point. Brands are like doing like um, mini rebrands more frequently, and not by rebranding, not more like refreshes, right? Like I notice packaging of brands that maybe I buy, and it wasn't the best packaging, but the product, you know, was good. And I've seen a particular ice cream company almost rebrand four times in just like the last year and a half because they yeah. are, you know, the buyers. I'm sure too are dictating a lot of what the branding has to look like and everything. And it's slowly getting more focused. Now it's the best looking one on the shelf. And it was neat to see its evolution. Right. But, but again, there's a very fine line there. You know, mm -hmm. it's easy to overdo that because, yep. because, you know, having said that, I mean, so we, we know that change is important, but when you think about branding strategy in general, consistency is also very important. Totally. Because yeah. You know, what, what all of this, you know, everything you guys do and, and everything around that, 
in my opinion, is related to the brand story or to mm. the narrative. What does the brand actually stand for? Who is that brand? Yeah. And so, you know, it's just like a person, you know, you can get, you can change your, you can change your, your clothing style and <laughs> maybe even, you know, grow a beard or something like that. Um, but, it, but beyond that, if people don't recognize you at all, then you have kind of a credibility problem. Sure. That makes sense. I'm wondering, just to touch a little bit more on consumers, because this is something mm -hmm. I'm struggling with all the time in packaging is, you know, as a designer and, and a brand strategist, like the consumer really is important to identifying your consumer. And so I'm wondering, because packaging is really driven by marketing and consumer behavior, and we're in this like weird postmodern consumer uh, demographic, how do, I, how do we identify them? Because in this day and age, it's mm -hmm. getting, you can't lump someone into a category like you could five, 10 years ago, how we, how, what's the best way to approach this nowadays? Yeah. Well, that's a really great question. I actually wrote a book about that, um, about the postmodern consumer and, you know, the idea that traditional categories are no longer very effective, Yeah, uh, you know, uh, whether it's black versus white or, you know, uh, male versus female, these, <laughs> these very fundamental categories that we all take for granted, have gone away or are going away. Yeah. Sure. And, and so, you know, I mean, the, the first thing I would say is that the customers themselves are your best source of inspiration. Hmm. And, and, you know, and I, and I think a lot of designers recognize that these days, but not as many as should recognize it because, uh, when you think about crowdsourcing of ideas and so on that, you know, making, be, making the customer what I call a co-creator or a co-marketer can be very, very powerful. Uh, you also get more buy-in from the customers when they know that they or people like them have been involved in the design. So, uh, you know, at, at a very general level, you could talk about inclusiveness, like, mm -hmm. uh, you know, acknowledging changing demographics. So, for example, uh, you know, I mentioned before the Betty, Betty Crocker. So, if, if you look at Betty Crocker, it's very interesting because over the years, um, you know, the character was a Caucasian woman. And again, they've updated it numerous times. But the most recent update is she's now she now looks vaguely Hispanic. Ah, OK. And so you would easily recognize her. But you can also say, oh, no, you know, she she looks like she could live in Mexico City or something mm -hmm. like that. You know, and the reason for that, as far as I know, is a recognition that, you know, you want to be more inclusive and recognize that we don't just have this mass, you know, in this case, Caucasian market uh, that's buying our products. And so, uh, you know, you, you have to recognize, you know, again, demographically, we, you know, I mean, there's a lot going on politically, obviously there, but, but, you know, the reality, you can, you can run, but you can't hide our, you know, our the U.S. market is incredibly diverse and will only continue to get more diverse. And so that I think that gives designers a lot of opportunities to, to bring in new design elements. And, and by the way, the mainstream consumer is much more receptive to that than, mm. than in the old days, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, so, so for example, you know, I think as a general rule, uh, people in Latin America like brighter colors. So the women, you know, women's clothing tends to be much more saturated, you know, bri much brighter colors. Hmm. Um, but obviously, as, as the U.S. population starts to resemble, you know, Latin America, Asia, et cetera, 
that gives you guys the opportunity to 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 broaden your net in terms of thinking about design inspirations that won't that won't seem foreign to people because you know you use the term postmodern and what that essentially means is that traditional categories are no longer applicable. Mm. Uh, so the metaphor that I like to use, maybe to help your, you know, some of your listeners understand this, what I like to think about is one of these massive international buffets. Yeah. You know, uh, <laughs> where where you you know you've got you've got pizza next to sushi, next yeah. to Chinese food, whatever, and everybody's piling this stuff on their plates. And and so and people love that, right? Yeah. People love to have all these things together. And that is really what's happening in our culture today, which I think is fantastic because sure. it means that it's consumers are much more open to expanding their definition of Good. what categories yeah. are. That makes a lot of sense because, like, you know, if you think you can't, you're told to be so single on that one, but how do you make it broader and available? And it's other things that are helping the consumer be comfortable with that, like, the international buffet. <laughs> it's a perfect example, right? Right, right. But it, but again, you know, the, the key is the the key is the transition. You know, in other words, yeah. you don't go from day one to something to day two that's totally different. That oh, now look, now it looks very Asian. You don't yeah. do that. But no. I think yeah. you can you can slowly transition the same way that logos when they do it the right way get get that transition where you retain some elements and add some elements. And hmm. that makes it more authentic and less maybe forced or obvious. Exactly. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. Which makes it sort of like the brand story and the pillars and the essence of the brand are seemingly becoming just more important because it's beginning, it's becoming harder to identify the consumer and your demographic. So mm -hmm. is it just really dialing back and, and doubling down on that brand story in, in hopes that, you can make it broad enough to appeal to a larger demographic and not just something. And that points to the importance of having a brand story that will, that has legs, you know, that can yeah. be translated. So, you know, the brand story shouldn't be we're an Asian product no. or something like that. <laughs> yeah. you know, it's the why. Yeah. <laughs> it's got to give you room to expand, but you're still in your comfort zone. Like, let me use an example. Uh, a uh, company I've had some interactions with, Under Armour. So, mm -hmm. you know, Under Armour's brand story is about, uh, you know, they've got these pillars of their brand, stronger, faster, fitter. Uh, I think there's a fourth one as well. I'm forgetting right now. Um, but the way they've defined that, that allows them to go beyond um, sweatshirts, you know, and workout jerseys into, for example, fishing yep. equipment, you know, fishing clothing, mm, yeah. uh, boots, things like that, because, and into women's, for example, which they've done in recent years. And all that is aligned with their brand story. So they, it's actually not a stretch, even though functionally, yeah, that they're makes now sense. playing in very different categories. That makes sense. Hmm. And they did it very naturally in a way by saying it, if you think broader stroke pillars, uh, eventually, because I know thinking of line extensions, and especially when you're with, you're with a brand at the beginning, and they have these plans for the future, you want to make sure you're building a brand that could be that adaptable. Right, right. And that's why even, you know, the, the, the mission statement, which people, mm -hmm. a lot of people think is a cliche, is actually super important. Because if, if you're in, if internally your client doesn't know what business they're really in, yeah, mm -hmm. then you're never going to be able to design for them. And if, if they've limited themselves uh, either by choice or, you know, or, or they weren't aware of it, 
there has to be a change, you know. So mm-hmm. you have a great organization like, let's say, Mothers Against Drunk Driving. Well, if I go to that organization and say, hey, I, you know, I have this great solution to opiate addiction. Well, if they're really adhering to their mission statement, they won't work with you. Yeah. Because yeah. their mission statement is specifically about drunk driving. It's not about, you know, Prevention. curbing drug use among young yeah. people, yep. for example. And I don't mean to I don't mean to pick on them. I mean sure. they do great work. But yeah, no, for but, sure. But that's an example where they've they've chosen a niche and that's that's great. But uh, for a consumer products company, I think you want to give yourself that room to grow by not being all things to all people, but mm. by by saying what are the, the pillars that will be reflected in our designs. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So thinking of package design and its effects on like the emotional response that a consumer is going to get for it. So like impulse, compulsion, positive, negative, guilt, satisfaction, you can name anything there. What, what components of design effectively tap into that, like that, that consumer's response? Is it, are there things we can kind of tap into broad stroke things? Well, sure. You know, again, with the caveat, I don't want to sound like a broken record, but yeah. contrast with what's around it, if mm-hmm. everybody looks the same, nothing is going to work. Uh, but certainly, you know, having said that, colors, obviously, uh, colors have strong emotional components. Uh, some of that is physiological, you know, bright colors like like red, yellow and orange. Um, you know, I, I mean, the evidence is mixed, but there's a, there's at least some evidence that physiologically that does affect you and that's yeah. why you know uh that's why fast food restaurants you know they want to get you in and out of course they're always going to use they're not going to use pastels you know yeah <laughs> but a lot of colors are more culture have more cultural meaning that's and that's true. where the context becomes so important and and again i know i'm preaching to the converted here probably but but a lot of times we we have learned uh, sometimes and often marketers have taught us to associate certain colors with certain qualities, you know, and yeah. so expectations are very important. So if I, you know, if I go into the uh, the uh, the soft drink aisle in my grocery store, and I see cans that are that are green, I've learned that that is, uh, you know, citrus or ginger ale. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If I see if I see cans that have a lot of red in them, I know those are colas. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, and, it's all and, conditioning. Because what we right. are used and, to, and so when you talk about disruption, again, you know, total disruption is not a good thing. But you know, if you're a <laughs> cola product, for, for example, I, you know, there's nothing wrong with with keeping that red that redness, but then working with that so yeah. that you again you're 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 paying you're paying your uh, you know you're 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 giving honors to the what happened in the past, and you're not saying we're not. We're not red anymore because the consumer is going to be confused. And, and so, you know, what we find is that the way our brains organize information is we don't really evaluate anything out of context. Everything we encounter, this includes people mm-hmm. uh, as well as brands, we, the way our brains work is we assign it to a category based on things that we already know. Yeah. And so, you know, for example, the most fundamental category we make and we make this determination very, very quickly. Uh, you know, if you're walking toward me on the street um, within within a few seconds at at most, I'm going to decide a very basic thing. And that is good or bad. Yeah. Hmm. 
And the way that translates, you know, in this case is, is, is he going to kill me or is yeah. he going to you know, <laughs> say my hello? Friend? Yeah. So it, so it's a very primal instinct. And, and I think it's, it's got some evolutionary power because people who can't make that basic distinction between good versus bad are not going to last very long on this earth. And so we've learned, and I'm, so I'm talking about caveman days, you know, yeah. uh, and, but now in, in modern times, we still are going to do that. So when we meet someone, you know, or we encounter a brand, we say, is that something I like or don't like? And mm. then later we figure out why is it that I didn't like it? You know, so it's, that's sure. why so many of these decisions at the, you know, on the supermarket shelf are, are snap decisions because we're wired to put things into these categories. So, you know, it's one thing to say we want to be disruptive and I'm all in favor of that to a point, but you can really, it can really come back to bite you if you are totally disruptive totally, yeah. and and put things into a different category. So, for example, uh, you know, a few years ago, there was a dog food brand, and they decided it, it was uh, uh, frozen dog food. It was like high-quality meat or whatever that mm. had to be frozen. Now, that's great, right? The problem is that consumers can't, can't come to grips with the idea of looking for dog food in the frozen food section. And yeah. that brand flopped, you know. So you can have this great idea, but if you make people work too hard, they're going to say, sorry, I, I just can't do this. I like what, how you said total disruption is you don't want to do a little disruption, not the total disruption. Because you're <laughs> right, you're, stand you're, out, but not you're, yet break you're killing some history and some conditioning that's been very strong, you know. Right. It, and it, you, yeah. And you can make that work to your advantage because you can – you can pretty quickly, if you're a good designer, I guess, uh, you know, kind of inventory, what are the design cues that are fundamental to this category? Yeah. Uh, whether, whether it's color, shape, size, et, et cetera. And now you, now you've got a palette that you can repurpose because you know that you're on safe ground. So yeah. rather than starting from scratch, you know, hey, wouldn't it be cool if we had a Coke can that was purple? Mm-hmm. Well, no. <laughs> yeah. Makes um, sense. A bit more on just like tapping in, you know, I've always been told like the average shopper in a grocery store like reads less than 10 words total or spends less than three seconds, uh, you know, on a package on any individual whatever product. So I'm wondering, one, is is that true? And then two, what do you want them to see first? Like what's that most important uh, hierarchy ratio? Is it going to be like the brand, what it is? the price, something like that. Like what, mm-hmm. what do we want them to sort of engage with first? Well, well, first of all, you know, I'd qualify that, um, you know, it's, it's true that it's probably even less than three seconds that we spend oh, yeah. looking at any given package in a sure. store, all things equal. However, if the package catches our attention or we're looking for something again, relatively more important, yeah. So remember, we started this conversation. I qualified everything by saying, if something you know, if if something is fairly important to you, or which often means that it carries some kind of risk. In other words, the the consequences of making a bad decision are more substantial. Ooh. Then hmm. this whole thing about looking at something for three seconds is is totally out the window. Sure. Yeah. So so for example, if 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 a a mom is looking for uh, you know, breakfast food for her toddler, she's probably going to be pretty motivated to scrutinize the information much more carefully. Yep. Mm. So, you know, y- your goal in package design is really to motivate her to pick that package up 
you know, or at least look at it more closely on the shelf. So mm-hmm. once a, once the person has picked up the package, then you're asking, you know, then your design challenge is much different. That then it gets to your question. You're, you're asking me now. Mm. Before we were talking about what gets somebody to pick up the package. Yeah. But once they once they've picked it up, uh, and you know, and this is where things get uh, <laughs> get a bit muddy and, and interesting. Um, Usually, there's going to be you know, if a brand if if a brand has done a good job they they have um, they have identified something that they do really well that they do better than their competitors and if they've done that and you can think of that as positioning mm-hmm. right you've heard that term many times um, so if if they've done that the package needs to reinforce that. Yep. So when you say, what do people look at, you know, so, so for example, if, if I'm shopping for toothpaste and I, you know, my, my, my wife just told me, you know what, your teeth are really yellow and nasty. What I'm looking for is a, is a toothpaste that's going to get my teeth whiter. Mm-hmm. And at least for the time being, I don't really care about how many cavities I'm getting. Right. I mean, relatively speaking. You've shifted your, um, <laughs> I've shifted the criteria. Yeah. That I'm <laughs> and so then, you know, when I, when I have a toothpaste like, uh, uh, arm and hammer, mm-hmm. you know, that that's you, that's made out of, um, uh, baking soda, you know, which whitens teeth. So, you know, it's not that they, it's not that it, is bad for your cavities, but they're staking their their market position on people's desire to whiten their teeth while maintaining dental health, right? Yeah, yeah. So therefore, the package should call that out, not not just in terms of the of the text that's on there. I mean, it should say very prominently, you know, whiten your teeth. Uh, but probably elements <laughs> of the design, you know, even using the color white in there. I don't know. I'll leave that up to you, to you guys, but. Whatever, whatever it is that reinforces what we would call that determinant attribute, that, that thing, and especially for a relatively unimportant product like toothpaste or mm-hmm. personal product, you know, people are not looking for eight or nine benefits. They're looking for one or a couple. Hmm. Uh, and so, right? So you can't be all things to all people. And so yeah. you pick up a toothpaste, uh, you know, container uh, package and and it's got huge you know the equivalent of kind of neon signs blinking hey if you guys could do that that'd be pretty cool but <laughs> but you know neon signs blinking that say hey gets your teeth whiter less trips to the dentist uh you know benefits four five six and seven we do it all yeah. then basically you do nothing yeah so it's smarter to concentrate on the one or two most important things that the brand has established are its strongest assets. Yeah, I, th- I think it generally is because yeah. you can't be all things to all people, and you know that's true for stores. It's true for for brands. Very few, you know, you could talk about Walmart maybe being mm-hmm. there's exceptions. People, yeah, you know, mass yeah. market and and all that, but. But most brands have a niche, and again, then you know that could be a pretty big niche. Yeah. Uh, you know, dental health is a big niche there. Mm. You know, overall. Uh, so I'm not talking about really tiny segments. You know. Yeah. But but your brand has to. You have to know what your brand stands for. Yep. You know, and so in the case of let's say toothpaste, you know, you've got some cosmetic benefits, you've got some health benefits. You know, maybe there are other things. Uh, you've got you know fresh tasting and kind of, you know, mouthwash 
type benefits. That's something. That's yeah. a third thing. <laughs> and keep in mind, each, each of those things that I've listed is related to risk. Yeah. Right. So yeah. that there we we can think of it as social risk. So if my breath breath smells really bad, yep. no one's gonna you know no one's gonna like me, and I'm gonna be a recluse, etc. <laughs> so if that's the risk I'm trying to minimize, then the package should reinforce that, just like the advertising should reinforce that, and the package packaging should be consistent with yeah. the advertising and the brand yeah. stories. Clearly, the design elements you're using should appear in other places in some way or another, you know? So, yeah. so for a long time, you know, the big buzzword was integrated marketing communications. Uh, it's kind of out of vogue right now. I'm not really sure why, cause I think it makes a lot of sense, but, but the logic was when we design everything, like the uniforms, our employees wear mm-hmm. the bugs that people that sit on people's desks, the yeah. stationery we use, you know, every, the, the, the design of our headquarters building, mm. it all should be, harmonious with what the brand and with what the customer is seeing. Yeah. Now we call it brand synergy. <laughs> That's a, yeah. Right. You know, <laughs> it's all wine and new bottles. Exactly. Uh, exactly. Again, the bottles. And by the way, research has shown that people buy wines based on the wine. Of course. So. Oh yeah. I mean, we both do a lot of beer uh, design and they've ultimately just become sort of the vinyl record labels. Like that is what, they're showcasing people buy for the art less for the beer nowadays. Yeah. Which is fascinating. Yeah. Right. And, and, and again, you know, there are some products that are more engaging, you know, that are more relevant to the self than our others, you know, beer maybe being one of those, but Mm. so you've reminded me of another, you know, another way to get that attention is to make it relevant to the customer. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I love what, what Jones soda did. I don't know if they're still doing it where you could actually uh, upload your own photograph yeah. And have it on a bottle. Uh, for uh, special that, occasions that, and things like that. Yeah. You know, that's that the ultimate cool. in packaging because, you know, we, and, and again, you know, how you get there technically, I'm not sure, but one of the other, you know, really important trends I think that we'll see getting bigger and bigger is personalization. Yeah. People want hmm. to know that products are somehow customized to their yeah. individual needs. So, yeah. to the extent that, you know, and, and of course the ultimate is, and I guess Coca Cola did it yep. as well, you know, someone's name on that package you know that's the ultimate now not yeah. everybody can do that and the only w- way they were able to do it was technology because dig- digital printing allowed for them to do yeah. huge well, runs and also budget right, right? like oh they, two i mean that, yeah that costs yeah but still it was a huge savings it was a huge savings when yeah. you could do it right yeah only coke could probably do it in a certain world <laughs> yeah or you know, you know m ms did it as yep. well right so they yeah. had, they i mean uh m ms or hershey kisses no um i think both hershey did kisses, both of them the did. ones that where they you can put uh you know happy wedding or something on the on the you tail personalize on on the actual product. <laughs> exactly Exactly. That's interesting. Yeah, because we're sort of in this market that has shifted towards sort of consumer individualism, mm-hmm. which I think it's so hard for a brand to how do you establish like a role for that singular self-expression while also trying to appeal to a large demographic in order to, you know, hit those sales. And I'm wondering, is it is it it, it seems like it's all coming back to just knowing sort of those pillars and what your brand stands for and less about tying into the consumer nowadays. It's more about inner, inner focusing. You well, know what I mean? I, I'm not sure I'd go that far because at the end of the day, it is the consumer who's, who you're trying to appeal to, not, sure. not your client in, in a way. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think that there's things you can do short of literally printing 
the person's photo on there. But, you know, for example, I suppose, you know, thinking out loud, you can create a package that allows the consumer, if you will, an aftermarket to customize it. So you might, for example, have a, uh, a, a carton that allows the, the consumer to color, you know, to color it with crayons or, mm-hmm. or, or write the, you know, put designs on it or colors on it that will harmonize with their, uh, with their medicine cabinet or something like that. Mm. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so when I say aftermarket, you know, it would be like buying a car and then going to a store and, and personalizing, you know, putting custom hubcaps and things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so, so again, even if so, you know, and, and again, look to other industries with actually sure. that raises another point like automotive and see how they're treating design and the interesting things they're doing with personalization Yeah, in terms of allowing consumers to, you know, have more input into, into colors and, and so on. So this is something, this is a, I think a fundamental trend that will spread over all kinds of businesses. Interesting. Yeah. I like that. I, I was curious. I wanted to go, I know we were talking just about this idea that not uh, concentrating on very clean and understandable benefits on the packaging when it comes to that. And where I battle a lot with some clients too, is they see it as if we, we, our product does 10 things great. And we want to shout about all 10 of those things on the front panel. <laughs> what are the tips and how do you talk to clients to say, here's how you, here's the need or why you should focus. Is it bucket? And I love the way you said it. You almost bucketed them in like dental health covers eight things, but you bucketed it in something that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, you know, every, the thing, the problem with brand managers is, is, you know, it's an occupational hazard that they think their brand is, is the second coming, you know? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. and, And maybe it is, maybe it is, but, but they get so excited about no matter what the brand is, you know, that they think, Hey, people want to know, not just, it's almost like they become evangelical about it. You know, they they kind of, uh, they want, they want to proselytize about it. And, and that's understandable because they're spending 24 hours a day thinking about it, you know? Yeah. Um, but you've got, you know, life is, life is about choices. And, and that's why I, I think, you know, it's so important to start with the customer and work backwards. And so many companies don't love it, do that. I mean, that's the most, you know, when I teach when I teach marketing to uh, sophomores, you know, the, on day one, what I say is, look, you know, marketing is about working backwards. It's about starting identifying a need, and then figuring out how to satisfy that need and doing it better than others. The way most marketer, the reality is that the way most companies work is they come up with something that they that they think is cool or that they can do well technically. And then they say, now, who, will, who can we sell this to? Yeah. <laughs> and they, and yeah. then they go to you guys, and, and you poor guys have to figure out a way to sell it. Mm-hmm. And that's because they haven't actually practiced what we call the marketing concept, which, which is starting at the end and working backwards. So if you do that and you have a certain segment of consumers that you're targeting – the logical thing to answer, believe it or not, I'm answering your question. No, no, uh, you're, you are. The logical sure. thing is to go to them and, you know, within that category, find out what their pain points are. So, you know, if your segment consists of XYZ type consumers, your research with them should be, you know, if it's if it's a dental product, you know, what what's your pain point when it comes to your dental, when it comes to your teeth? You know yeah, what mm-hmm. I mean? And so, so some are going to have some problems and some are going to have others, you know, know? and if you're, 
if you're a like a, a polydent, you know, which is, you guys probably don't even know what that is, but you know, if you have dentures, um, uh, you know, obviously you've got a specific set of problems, and you're probably not as I don't wear dentures, but uh, but you know, my <laughs> guess is that you're the way your breath smells isn't quite as important as whether or not your dentures are going to fall out during the day. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Whereas to someone else, that's not a concern, obviously. So I'm making yeah. an extreme example, but gotcha. But uh, but again, don't just sit in your office and say, you know what, our our customers really need a product that does X. So let's design, you know, let's invent this one and design something that communicates that. Yeah. Hmm. That makes a lot of sense, and I and I, I love that advice too because I'm I battle with that almost every time because you're I think. We, we deal with smaller to medium-sized businesses, and they're so passionate about the product they've made. Like you said, they think it is, it's going to do it all. But mm-hmm. you do got to find that way to kind of be a little more focused with the, the, the message because you're right. Otherwise, it's going to be, one, overcluttered, and two, it's too brown and beige because it's trying to do everything right or good yeah, or and- best. And, you know? you know, and think about what we said before. Again, you know, if you're a relatively smaller company, you're probably, you know, your advantage, you know, over a PNG is that PNG has to, it's like turning a battleship when they have to make an adjustment. Your advantage is you're nimble, right? That's, yes. that's the upside mm-hmm. of being, you know, an upstart, uh, uh, of being a, a new product. Um, and so I, I think you're better off having a really cohesive brand identity and doing something really well. And if your brand story is told the right way, once you get that toehold in the market, then then you can expand. So go, let's go back to Under Armour, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. so so when when they first in, you know when they started, they literally made one product, and it was based on the observation. You know, Kevin Plank, who fa- founded it, was a foot a college football player. You know, probably you've heard the story. You know, and he sweated a lot during practices. He said, "How can I, you know, get something yeah. that's going to absorb my perspiration You're on fixing a problem?" Yeah, yeah, you know. And so they did that, and then you know, easier said than done, and they did that. But you know, now they're making women's sneakers and and, and et cetera. But they couldn't mm-hmm. have done that initially. You know, they had they weren't lifestyle at the beginning. Yeah, run. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Which seems, again, genuine versus coming out the gate and just trying to be everything to everyone, which in turn makes mm-hmm. you nothing to everyone. Um, oh, yeah. You know, it would be, it would be like a, a, a small retailer on Main Street saying, we're competing directly with Walmart. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's fair. <laughs> um, I want to get into a little bit of like the future of packaging design and, and also just current trends. And I'm wondering, are there trends in packaging design now that you're noticing and maybe things that we should start adopting more and things that we should let them die quickly. Like, <laughs> just, you know, with anything in design, I'm seeing these trends happen so quickly. And especially because we're so globally connected, like, oh, yeah, it just everyone packs onto something and it dies quickly. But I'm wondering if there's actual trends that maybe we should actually try to adopt more that we think we can carry through beyond just this hype bubble that we're living in. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, certainly there are some fundamental trends that I don't think are going anywhere. You know, the obvious one is sustainability. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's the big one right now. You yeah, all, I'm sure know that. And so if you you know if you look at some of the innovations that are occurring, you know, I like, uh, for example, Patagonia has done some really nice packaging where they make these sort of cubes that fit together. They're all made out of recyclable materials. Oh yeah. Uh, but but they're not. You know, the, it, we have this association where 
if it's sustainable, it has to be ugly. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and it has to be, uh, you know, well, at the risk of besmirching a brand, you know, it has to be like a Birkenstock or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Or, yeah. or rough around uh, the edges the and first gen of Priuses. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's definitely not the case. And so, uh, you know, that's clearly something. Um, you know, if you, if you, and I think brands that allow you to somehow, and this is really thinking ahead, maybe sure um, that allow you to kind of, uh, personalize them by, by keeping a record of your usage, um, somehow Mm -hmm. on the brand, you know, so if it lets you know, the package lets you know when it's almost over, when it's almost empty. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so something where the package, you know, is able to communicate with the user and maybe that ties into, uh, to the internet of things and, you know, uh, packages having small, uh, uh, transmitters on them at, at, which is happening now, uh, that allow them, you know, so that, uh, you know, your, your milk carton basically can, can email the, the store when it's almost empty and say, Hey, I need to be mm-hmm. replenished. So there the carton becomes, you know, the, the whole Internet of Things phenomenon. We're just seeing the, the tip of that right yeah. now. I think that's going to revolutionize packaging because yeah, that's really it's, interesting. it's the packages that are going to talk to the retailers, you know. That's crazy. So, so, so that's certainly something. Uh, the personalization yep. we, we've talked about. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, again, to the extent that, that – the package can somehow meld to the person, and maybe that means there are, I don't know, photosensitive chemicals on it that allow you to change the colors, uh, you know, or to draw on it, or or something like that. Some interactiveness, right? Like some kind of some kind of interactivity. Uh, so, you know, I, I worked with a large uh, auto glass manufacturer for several years, and you know, one of the products we were looking at was the idea that a car window is kind of like. Uh, uh, becomes kind of like an iPad. Yeah. So a kid can sit in the back and basically, oh, wow. you know, use their finger and draw all over the window, mm-hmm. and it becomes like a an interface, like a computer interface. Yeah, so that's amazing. So if you take that kind of logic, I, I think you can apply it to a lot of things, especially as it's getting cheaper and cheaper to build that level of interactivity in. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I think people want to interact with their products, but again, there's, you know, there's a there's a ceiling to that. So you know, we look at the backlash against Alexa and things like that, where hey, they're listening to my conversations. Yeah, not advocating that your deodorant can yeah. listen to your conversations. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, but but having said that, I think I think smart packages that can, for example, make suggestions. You know, uh, yeah. oh, if you you're using this, you might want to use that. Why can't you build that kind of interactivity? Yeah, in, I, into these packages. I think so, like uh, Angry Orchard has it now with. Uh, uh, it's augmented reality and you hold it up to your phone and it will give you the pairings of what foods to have yeah. with that. Mm-hmm. So suggestions, any kind of uh, interaction is always like a really great thing. And I think sometimes if you can talk to a client or in that they're in that area of budget, that that's very doable now. That's been, that was, that debuted, you know, 10, 15 years ago. So it's now hitting it into the mainstream. It was really good. Yeah, you know, I, I, you've, you've really hit a nerve with me because about 10 years ago, I started working with an agency on augmented reality applications, and I, and I saw it for packages immediately. Yeah. The problem was that the public just wasn't ready for it. Was, it wasn't called total immersion by any chance, was it? 
No. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> again, they, they came into the agency I was working at, or they were very similar to that. And you're right. It was like, I think at the time Doritos did one on their bag and a few others, but we trying to explain it to people, they almost did not understand. Clients sometimes did not understand exactly what it was. Yeah. It was really well, again, tough. There's that, you know, there's that novelty factor where, People like to say, I like new things, but the reality is <laughs> exactly. that we're lazy. And if, if it takes too much learning. So true. But again, if, you know, if it's, if, it, uh, if it's in service of a really important goal. So let's say, for example, one app packaging application I, I think should be around is in the pharmaceutical where hmm. you have a prescription pill bottle. Yeah. You know, that could, be, that could bring up a, a little yeah. image of a, of a doctor saying, hey, make sure you don't take this with X. Sure. You know, um, and, and so there's lots of ways that packaging can be an educational tool, uh, you know, whether it's it's showing you how to use that hairspray that you just bought or it's showing a woman how to apply that cosmetic product that she just bought. Interesting. That to me, that to me is the next frontier of packaging. I really believe that. Wow. If if we can get consumers to accept it and it, and it, my fear is that it just is a fashion product, a fashion thing like a fad that goes away and yeah. we have we have ignored all the things that it can do. So, yeah. you know, I, I would love to see, but as you point out, it takes money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You have to be committed to it. So, um, And I wonder if that's in contrast with like green, going green, where I think single use products in general are going to have a, a massive shift in terms of waste. We're going to have to figure out a totally different way to to sort of sell those single-use disposable. Yeah. So I'm curious, you know, like, that's interesting, too, is, like, how that's going to play into yeah. something like that. Yeah. No, well, you know, abs- the, the disposability aspect, I mean, we see this with, you know, with fashion brands that I that I yeah. talk to. A lot of consumers now, you know, younger ones are saying, I don't want to buy new clothes at all because it just, the more new clothes we have, the more waste we create. Yeah. That's why we want to recycle. So maybe yeah. recycling of packaging is something else. Secondary use, here. you know, that's yeah, always a good thing. Secondary use, exactly. Yeah, exactly. I wanted to ask you on that green topic. Do you, do you feel it's more corporate responsibility pushing hmm. the initiative, or is it really consumer driven? I, I I love that you said I uh, young a few young people were saying that about recycling and clothing, and they're thinking that way. But I'll be honest with you, I don't know a lot of people that I feel are are that worried. And so I wonder, is it consumer driven or is it the consume the the um, corporate responsibility of the of like when Walmart said shave 15 percent of packaging off of anything we sell? They're saving yeah. rainforest like left and right. Who's driving this? Yeah, it's you know, I've I've <laughs> wrestled with that myself because, uh, you know, the, there's a saying that the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Yeah. And, you know, and so back back around 2007 or so, I think we were on the cusp of a big green revolution. That's, you know, the mass market was starting to become conscious of this idea. That's before mm. we had all this talk about climate change and so on. Uh, and so a lot of companies started to think green, however you define that. Well, then the recession hits. Everybody's thinking their pocketbooks. Yeah. And the mm. bottom fell out, you know. Yep. And so now that we're relatively, not everybody's back in shape, but we're in pretty good shape now, we're starting to see what I think of as kind of the second wave of that. Got it. And so the question, and, and so we know in surveys what people will, and especially millennials will, t- will tell you and, uh, is, is that uh, the first 
or the primary thing that they look for in a brand when choosing among brands is to what extent do they give back? Wow. However you define that. Now that doesn't necessarily mean that they're green, Yep. but they want to see some evidence of that. Now, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, the, the problem we have of course, is just like we had the, the greenwashing phenomenon, you know, uh, uh, where companies jump on the bandwagon and they say, yeah, we're green, we're green. And of course they're not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have a lot of disillusioned consumers who say, you know what? I don't believe any of them anymore. And so unfortunately the credibility of companies is at an all time low, uh, you know, along with politicians and other people in our society. So I think there's a genuine desire for it. And my, you know, my guess is that it's starting now to seep into the mainstream a bit yeah. more. So we, yeah. we've always had this kind of radical fringe of, of tree huggers that saw this coming and are willing. See, the question is, are you willing to pay a premium for exactly. a product that is sustainable? Because yeah. it always, it where, always you know, is. And ev- anytime you know. we've ever tried to incorporate that into a, the costing and you get the cost back, the client immediately goes, ah, we'll stick to dr- the traditional packaging. Can't afford it. And and it's a tough gig. And I think what I love is the innovation and stuff. Like when you see the bottle caps of, of water bottles have shrunk down to about, you remember they were a good inch high and now they're about, you know, an eighth of an inch tall. They've cut the plastic down. That's innovation. That's, that's less material. And it's, I love that one. And it's innovative design still being a secure fit. So when you, when we can think that way too, you know, like one of the things Jordan and I push a lot with the people that we hope listen and get something out of our podcast is be innovative beyond what you're seeing out there, right? Like turn the tables on that and it might even be cheaper to do something and be green. Right. But, you know, the, the, the key is if, if you're going to talk the talk, you better be ready to walk the walk because otherwise yeah. you're going to be in worse shape yep. <laughs> yeah. uh, than, than you were before. It's better to be not sustainable and not yep. claim that you are. Exactly. Yeah. That's a really bad thing, you know. Yeah. But your your question, that's why your question is so hard to answer, you know, in terms of who's driving, who's driving this. It. Yeah. Because you you know, you could pose the same question about advertising. Is it, you know, do consumers drive advertising or do advertisers try oh to anticipate God. it? And the answer is that there is no answer because it's it, it's a con- it's a constant feedback loop. Oh my gosh, that's a it, yeah, you could talk about that for hours like what is driving who in it? I look at certain advertising now and I just kind of laugh and I'm like, what was that just a shot in the dark? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. And some, well, sometimes those have worked, you know? Yeah. Look, I mean, you know, package designers or ad executives, creatives are, are trying, you know, they're trying to read the signals in the culture and give people what they think their version of what they think they want. Yeah. So, so, you know, you could talk about, for example, how are women portrayed in advertising, you know, perfect bodies. We have a big pushback against that. Now, does advertising cause women to feel inadequate about themselves or men for that, for that man? Mm -hmm. And the answer I believe is not that simple because they're picking up the signals from, from the consumers. Consumers are learning from the advertising back and forth. And, and package design is the same thing. You know, if you, if you educate your consumers to expect you know, novel shapes, for example, in the aisle, they're going to, they're going to want to see novelty. Now that can come back to bite you if logistically it gets very difficult to ship those, you know, irregular yeah. shapes, packing cartons and, th- and so on. 
you know, and and so you know, I, I always I think of the the Japanese who uh, you know are always so ingenious, and you've probably seen pictures of the watermelons that they grow as squares. Yes, <laughs> you know, so they because, should better. <laughs> and, and the reason is they pack so beautifully. No waste, just, no wasted space. No waste, and yeah. it's just an elegant solution. Yeah. Hmm. I like that a lot. So when you look at what Patagonia is doing with their base camp, you know, packaging, I think they're kind of doing that because their packages are not a predictable shape, but they stack, Mm. you know? So my guess is that logistically they're saving a lot of money as well as making a visual statement. Yeah. So it doesn't have to be a trade-off is my point. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't have to be one or the other. Hmm. Good deal. Um, the only other thing we haven't talked about a lot of is like the text and the type and the copy on there, on the packaging. And yeah. when, when Jordan and I compare notes about like a lot of times what we're working on too, it's like, I, I'm, I'm curious to know like your thoughts on that. And like, w- is copy more important than visual is v- visual always wins? Like w- what kind of tip? Cause hierarchy is obviously huge here too. But you know, I always say too, when, just as much as colors can attract someone to a packaging, I almost feel like the voice and the and the the message or the wording is just as strong, if more than ever now. What do you think? Well, yeah, you know, again, your question, you know, it appear it it sounds like you're you're creating a dichotomy when in fact there isn't one because <laughs> as you, what you're saying is that the text is a visual, right? Yeah, the text is a visual element, mm. and you have to separate that. In other words, the font style and so on that's a visual element. The content content of the text that's a different story. So, yeah. I, I I think the way I'd answer that is that when is that the text can be part of the visual layout that grabs that that provides that contrast factor we were talking about. Perfect. Uh, the visual, you know, we we're visual creatures, and and most and we're going to process that element more quickly, and more. So, the the text requires more cognitive activity. Hmm. Because the visual is something again, we can we make a very quick judgment. Oh, that's pretty, or that's ugly, that's good, yeah. that's bad. Yeah. Uh, because because our brains are, you know, we if it's a picture of a of a snowy mountaintop, our brains have a category called snowy mountaintop that we've <laughs> counted many times. Yeah. The text is something unique that requires cognitive processing, that requires a lot more work on our part. Mm-hmm. And so that's going to happen next. Yeah. And if we can avoid that, you know, again, we're essentially lazy creatures because uh, it does require more energy at a, at a literal level. Yeah. Uh, you know, to process information. If we can avoid doing that, we will. So if we decide based on the visuals, I don't really care what the text says, then yeah. I'm not going to bother to read the fine print, so to speak. Yeah. If I, but <laughs> however, if if the packaging is, is, is giving me a message that says, this is something that could really be useful for you, then you're going to read that fine print. And so that, that whole expression, well, did you read the fine print? You know, uh, basically, are people motivated to, to do that? So yeah. you know, I've, worked with, I've worked with auto insurance companies and, and found that, and this won't, I don't think this would surprise anybody, <laughs> almost nobody reads the, the, their auto policies. Oh, yeah, never, never. <laughs> no, and 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 yet the companies are going on the assumption that people, yo, you know, we we told them X, Y, and Z about their auto policy, so why are they asking us now whether they have coverage? <laughs> and wow. and so the point is, you can put it on there. It doesn't mean you can lead Mohammed to the mountain, but it doesn't mean people are going to process it. Yeah, sure. 
Now, if I get into an accident and I want to figure out, you know, if I'm going to get money back, suddenly I'm motivated to sift through that fine print to a greater degree. Oh, but yeah. I'm only doing that on demand. I'm not doing that just for fun. Yeah, yeah. the necessity of it, you need it. Then you're going to right. read it. That's true. Because right. I, I, I think where I've been trying to do is make, intertwine the character and the vibe and the voice of the brand. And it might be in two or three words or a headline or something that kind of helps explain it better. And also, too, is a drastic contrast to maybe the brand next to him, whereas the brand next to him might be very, you know, prestige and, and, and clean. And here's this one's trying to be more rebellious and whimsical or something or, or, or just loud. So the, tr it goes into the mix, but I get what you're saying. You, you make the assumption more on the visual because there's no language to it. It's your own language. You, you, have, you interpret it differently than maybe I would. Right. I mean, if, yeah. I, if, I, want to, if I want to be seen as rebellious, there's going to be color elements, but there's also going to be fonts that are more yes. rebellious than others. Exactly. But that's not the content that the text is, is I gotcha. broadcast. I got gotcha. you. Hmm. Interesting. You know? So you might, you might think of it more as kind of like a website that where it's hyperlinked. You know, in other words, if you're interested, click here. And yeah. Read <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. Turn the box. Might be, you know, if you want to know more about this, look elsewhere on the package where we put the fine print. But don't, for God's sake, don't put the fine print on the cover of the package. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Unless it's mandatory. <laughs> and sometimes it is. <laughs> what else? What, anything else uh, you want to cover? Jordan, that we hadn't gotten to? Man, I think, I think I've had everything and more answered on my yeah, end. Uh, this has been incredibly interesting and really helpful. Um, we'd love to be able to plug everything that you've got going on, Michael. Uh, I know that you have your website, obviously, michaelsolomon.com, S-O-L-O-M-O-N.com. Uh, and you have a number of amazing books. Uh, I just picked up Marketers Tear Down These Walls, so I'm excited to dig into that. Um, but anything else you got going on? Where can people find you? Uh, well, the, yeah, thank you. I mean, the be certainly the best place to find me is just go to my website, you know, michaelsolomon.com, and you'll see, you'll see links to things that you can download there. Uh, you'll see links to books. Um, uh, the, the speaking that I do, I, lo I love to speak to groups about issues like this. And yeah, so there's lots of information there. So that's definitely... That's my packaging right there. Is the <laughs> <laughs> but um, there's a ton there too. I mean, I was I was digging into. There's lots of great resources. You have uh, some really great interviews on there as well. Um, and yeah, you can pick up the number of books that you've written on these subjects and more. Great. Yeah. Thank you. All well, right. this has been really enjoyable. Uh, thank you so much for coming on and, and sort of enlightening us. Uh, I've never really take, I've never taken more topic. notes in my life. <laughs> <laughs> I was doing the same thing. I, I wish my students would. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you on that one, man. Yeah, this is great, and I re really appreciate. It. I, I I hope to hear uh, from some listeners that can really kind of uh, tell us what they got out of this too. So. Um, definitely a different spin for us as a, as what we usually do for our podcast. And I couldn't be more thankful to have you on here, man. Oh, my pleasure. It was, it was fun. And I, I wish you guys luck because you have to, you have to actually do things. I, I just talk about it. <laughs> I know I, I'm going to, I'm going to be you one day. <laughs> I would be you one day if I could grow up. I... There you go. <laughs> well, thanks again, man. We really appreciate it. And, uh, that was a great show. Awesome. Uh, my pleasure. And, uh, you know, if you could let me know when it's up or whatever, send me a link. Of course. Hurt. 
Absolutely. We definitely and I'll make sure to I'll make sure to circulate it. Oh, awesome. we appreciate that, man. Yeah. That'd be great. Yeah. Yep. We will All talk right. to you then. Okay. <laughs> See you, Michael. <laughs>